Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx, and I am honored to be joined today by a colleague of mine, I guess I could say, since he contributed to the magazine, all the way over in Australia, where I don't know what time it is exactly. I know it's morning. Uh, maybe he can shed some light on that, but uh, Darius Oliver who uh, is known for his Planet Golf Company, is joining us today. Darius, how's it going where you are? Great, Al. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's um, great to be here. It's 10 a.m. Um, yeah, we're in middle of lockdown. We're not middle with the tail end of lockdown on a um, yeah sort of sunny September afternoon or morning. So, yeah, it's good to be here. I understand that you have not been playing a lot of golf recently, which is, as you said, kind of like holding your breath um how have you been entertaining or, or you're scratching your golf itch while you haven't been able to actually play a course recently uh yeah that's been tough we've um we've done it you know the the golf industry in victoria we the whole country basically closed down in march april as they did all over the world really um and victoria was the only state in australia that had no golf during that period so when when it was finally opened up again on the 13th of May this year, the game absolutely went crazy. I mean, where I am on the Mornington Peninsula, there are a number of clubs here and on the other side of Melbourne who did more rounds in May than they'd ever done any other year, and that's even losing the first 12 days. And then June was as busy as a December or a January, so it was busy as the middle of our winter. Golf courses were as busy as they were or as they, as they normally would be at the end of the year in summer. So it went crazy, and I think it was great. There was no school sport, no weekend sport. So, you know, people had a lot of downtime, a lot of free time, and, and golf golf benefited. And then when the, the second lockdown happened, and it was, it was very harsh, it was harsher than the first one, um, unfortunately – you know, the, the the game stopped as well, which was very tough. But, you know, we make do. You've probably, you know, I've got kids and my, one of my daughter's projects actually was trick shots with ball sports. So she thought of getting a tennis ball and doing some, learning some trick shots. And, of course, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a bar of that. So I went and grabbed my, my lob wedge and we practised outside. And we came up with a few trick shots that she videoed for school and, you know, just putting on the, on the carpet, things like that. But to be honest, Al, mostly I'm doing a few golf course design projects which have kept me busy. And then the, the series that we're going to talk about, Lynx Magazine, I mean, the great thing about golf is it's such an aspirational sport and travel in particular is just something that you can plan and look forward to and, you know, it's eagerly awaited the next time you go on a golf trip. So I've done a lot of a hell of a lot of um, thinking and planning and um, have just published a new version of Planet Golf, a new edition of Planet Golf USA. So just you know, putting photos together and reviews together and keeping myself busy and dreaming about playing golf. And, you know, it's not the same. I really miss golf. I play as much as I can, you know, four or five times a week if I can. Um, so, yeah, a lot of daydreaming about it to make up for the lack of actual physical golf. Yeah, very good. Um, you know, it makes you, it makes you realize how lucky, you know, some of anyone who's listening to this, if you have the ability to play golf right now, there, there are part, parts of the world who haven't been able to do that in quite some time. But Darius, I wanted to, to ask you, I know you, you kind of went into your background. I'd love to talk to you later about some of the design projects you're working on. But, um, for those who aren't familiar with planet golf or, um, or you as a, as a personality, as a, commentator as a golf designer um, and as an author 
Could you just give a little bit of background about yourself and and what all projects you're involved with? I, I know you're also involved with uh, Tom Doak's Confidential Guide, which may be familiar to some people as well. Um, yeah, well, I started, I suppose, the Planet Golf books um, twenty it, uh, nearly 20 years ago, uh, traveling the world, looking at great golf courses and trying to put together a volume that had all the world's best courses outside America because my, my view had always been that if you put together a world book, it's very – it's it's automatically American centric because there's so many you know, half the world's golf courses are America and obviously three of the four major championships are there. So you have a lot of important historical championship venues. So if you put them to one side, if you ignore America for a moment and focus on the whole world, you can uncover some of the hidden gems, a lot of the ones that we've got here in Australia and over in New Zealand that I just assumed would be all over the world. Um, and that's where I set off in 2004 and started travelling, trying to find those secret hidden gems all around the world. And, yeah, to be honest, the, the part of the reason it helps coming from a place like Melbourne, I mean, I grew up um, playing in Melbourne and I was a caddy at Royal Melbourne when I was very young. So I played all the Sandbelt courses before I really realised how world-class they were. They were just Melbourne-quality courses. They were the best in Melbourne, so you thought they were just typical of other golf courses around the world. So travelling around, um, seeing courses that don't cut the mustard, that, that aren't as good as what you've got back home, um, that, that actually helps. You know, To to be honest, that, that's what I'm kind of looking for. I'm, I'm a really sort of discerning golf critic, if you like. I, I, I don't think any golf course is perfect. And just... You know, looking at golf courses through that lens and sort of determining the imperfections, if you like, helps you kind of classify them and figure out exactly how good they really are. And so that just sort of started the Planet Golf, morphed into Planet Golf USA. And then I've done a couple of other books since then and been lucky enough to be involved in a couple of design projects, the most notable being Cape Wickham on King Island, which was a few years ago now. Um, and that's led the, the same guys that I work with at at Cape Wickham, uh, in terms of the shapers and the builders, uh, we're doing a course on Kangaroo Island, which is about to start, would have started by now if it wasn't for the virus, um, on in South Australia. And then, yeah, I've got another a couple of projects. One over in New Zealand, I did a par three course for the Hills Golf Club in, near Queenstown. Got a par three course on the Mornington Peninsula here and, and another couple of projects as well. But, yeah, it's just sort of been a lifelong obsession with great golf. I'm one of these people, I'm probably the opposite of the person who says there's no such thing as a bad day on a golf course. I can spend hours walking around golf courses, but I can't spend hours playing bad ones. So I'm very happy to walk any course in the world. But for me to go grab my clubs from my boot, um, tee it up on the first hole and want to play the full 18, it has to be pretty good. Um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what I've done the last few years is sort out those sorts of golf courses. There's been some hits and there's been some misses along the way. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it because it's, it's taught me a hell of a lot. How many golf courses have you played? Do you have an exact number? No, I've been to about 2000 and, and I probably would answer it this way. There's only a handful, less than 10 that I haven't played that I want to play. So I have played you know, if listeners think of a course off the top of their head, uh, you know, I've probably played it. I haven't played Augusta, which is the one that, you know, most people, oh, have you played Augusta? Well, I've been to the Masters a few times. I've walked it a bunch of times. Um, 
yeah, it's a great golf course. So there's some unbelievable holes there, and architecturally, it's very notable, obviously. But it, it's one that I haven't played. It's not necessarily on the list um, of the ones that I want to play that I haven't played. You can go but, ahead yeah, and tell us all of the other courses too. I'm, I'm very curious now that you said that. Of the courses that I haven't played? Yes. Well, I'll get in, I'll, I might get into trouble because uh, <laughs> if if a golf club knows that uh, if a golf club knows that I haven't played there, um, no, there's not, there's not Fair. many. There, there's actually not that many. Um, you know, I haven't played Pine Valley. I spent maybe five hours, five or six hours, I think, walking around Pine Valley. It, it's brutal, but it's a wonderful golf course that I would love to play. So that's probably the the obvious one to me. Um, and there are there are a couple of other courses over in the UK and um, yeah, just not not too many, but there there are a couple of other ones that, that I haven't played yet that um, I've walked and looking for that opportunity. Fair enough. Well, I hope you get it very soon. Um, but it sounds like you, uh, in the meantime, have in the past whatever it is you said 2004 you started playing a golf so um you know upwards of 20 years and 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 maybe more you you spent your life finding new places and finding new golf courses which lends itself perfectly to kind of the topic of our conversation today which was your your piece for links a rolling piece you you did a, it was a four-part series in our issues so we have seasonal issues and 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 each season Darius brought us uh, a new part of the world which he has ranked the world's golf countries and I I know you may be thinking you've seen rankings and and how they typically appear and a lot of times it's just golf courses or maybe countries are ranked just by the courses that they have but Darius has taken it a step further um, and I want him to kind of explain what went into these rankings and and the results um, from each of the regions you explored? So quickly, you you separated them into uh, the first was the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Um, so that just five countries, and that's so I mean, golf centric right there. That part of the world, it basically kind of encapsulates its own region. You've got continental Europe as well, Asia and Oceania. And then yep. the rest of the world. So you go from your Canada to your South America and countries, your Caribbean and and some countries in Africa as well. So um, let's let's get into the nitty gritty here. Where what all went into your your ranking system, Darius? Well, Al, you have to give George Pepper a hell of a lot of credit for um, co- coming up with the concept initially, and then we had a fair bit of back and forth about how many criteria would be appropriate, how would you rank them. You know, w- what was important was not necessarily just falling for, well, Scotland's the best because it's got the most open championship courses and high-profile courses in St Andrews and things like that, but actually quantify what makes it a great destination. And so we came up with criteria such as, the number of courses, the sheer quantity and volume of courses that a country has, and then also the the golf per person metric, which is interesting when you think about outside somewhere like the UK, which has obviously, you know, Scotland and places like Wales and Ireland have a ton of courses per person. Um, a place like New Zealand and Canada, for example, score really highly in, in that metric as well, which means like in New Zealand, for example, every town has a nine-hole or an eight-hole course and a lot of them are very good. So that was that was an interesting sort of um, 
criteria to add as well because it does, you know, accessibility was another one. So if you've got a lot of golf and the golf is accessible, that obviously helps your ranking. But the core of it, if you like, the, the nuts and bolts of how we differentiated these countries really was how good were their best courses? So how good were their best five courses? How good were their best 15 courses? What was the average green fee of their top 100 sort of calibre golf? Say in Australia, for example, it's very expensive. In New Zealand, it's very expensive because you've got international visitors paying international rates at places like um, Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, New South Wales Golf Club, and then in New Zealand, the same sort of thing at Tara Iti and Cape Kidnappers. So what that tells you about the value of the destination, so how good the golf course is almost divided by the average price, and then what a tour might look like if you had no limitations on your budget. So what would a bucket list tour to Scotland be, for example? You would obviously play the old course in Carnoustie and Muirfield. You'd play Kings Barnes. You'd, you know, money wouldn't be an option. You'd play all those great courses. And then what would a trip look like if money was an option and you were trying to keep you know, your, your, your green fees down under $150 around? How would that look? And then the last couple of criteria were just about access and travel. So accessibility, how um, how many of the best courses could you play and how easy was it to travel around? So for somewhere like Japan, like one of the best, if, if all things were equal, if you got one of Willy Wonka's golden tickets that said you're able to play any golf course in the world anywhere you want at any time, Japan would rank really highly on the list of, of countries to go visit because their old courses are really, really excellent. But... Travelling around is difficult, not just because of the language, but but it, it is a difficult place to navigate. And the accessibility is almost non-existent at a lot of those places. I mean, you really have to know one of the few hundred members of Hirono, for example, to get on. Um, you can play Kawana because it's a resort, but most of the other top 10 courses in Japan are very difficult to access. So it was... It, it was all those combinations and we just assigned values out of 10 and ultimately a score. And, um, you know, people will argue that perhaps value has been overvalued, if you like, and other people will say it's undervalued. You know, what's the point of comparing a $400 green fee to a $100 green fee? But we tried to provide that balance so that you could look at all the countries and, you know, provide some sort of ranking, rating, um, you know, and there's very interesting results. The fact that England and Australia are so close together probably wasn't a surprise to me necessarily, um, but the results of somewhere like Wales finishing ahead of South Africa and Japan and Holland surprised me because the top few courses in those countries would probably beat the top few courses in Wales. But Wales has got a lot of a hell of a lot of six and seven out of ten type courses, great value, and they're all accessible. I mean, you can pretty much play any course you want in Wales. So that that's how we did it. As I said, George had a hell of a lot to do with it, um, and then you know the rest of it was just down to the the research. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you you kind of spoke to being that this is so data driven and and there's a point value to this. You you sort of spoke there comparing, you know, countries from one region to countries to a, another region, actually. And now that we have done all four parts of this series, you can, uh, we haven't done it yet, but you could quantify an entire list from uh, aggregate from the entire uh, series. So yeah. I haven't I haven't quite done that. It sounds like you may have done that, though. Well, it kind of did it while we were going through the process because I didn't want to, to be fair to the countries, like a place like Ireland, for example, which comes third in third out of five in the UK and Ireland, um, would dominate 
Asia would dominate the Caribbean or Africa or other you know, continental Europe, for example. So, you know, you don't necessarily go and start each one at, at 100 and give you the best, the, the best country the highest score because what we wanted to do was to make it it make it relative you know northern ireland comes last in the uk and ireland rankings but it's pretty good you know if it was in asia it, it would be sure. the third second or third best country in asia so that's yeah that's how we did it i certainly have um you know gone through in my head um from time to time how i ranked countries in in my own mind and then when we did the numbers i was surprised at a few things like i love golf in france i really do and as a destination somewhere to travel around and and the places that you can see and beyond just the golf the cultural experiences that you can have it rates really highly on on my list and so yeah to see um see it outperform some of the other countries in europe and outperform places like japan which i also love was interesting because it's um yeah, it's it's a terrific destination. Yeah, and and that's something I don't know if you've thought about it at the time when you were visiting these places, but um, and maybe maybe it's just something. It sounds like you realized after the fact when you're when you're really comparing one next to the other, and especially in a, in a list like this where you get into all the different categories of accessibility, the the history, the affordability of these types of places. I just thought it was unique. You you don't see a, com- a comprehensive list like this uh, anywhere. So I yeah, commend you it, for your efforts. Well, it's it's not it's certainly not going to um, please everybody. Or people won't agree with it all. And to be honest, if someone else had done it, the you know I would have looked at this, and the first one that would have jumped out to me when when you collate the scores. The first one that jumps out to me was Sweden finished ahead of South Africa and Japan and also Holland as well. But South Africa and Japan in particular, you know, both um, countries that I think off the top of my head I would have assumed would have comfortably topped Sweden. Um, But Sweden scores very highly on a lot of key categories. And those two other countries, Japan, as I mentioned, about accessibility and not only that, accessibility and travel and cost, super high prohibitors to golf in Japan and South Africa has some of the same sorts of issues not quite the co- the cost necessarily but um, you know traveling around South Africa especially now is not necessarily a wise or, or an easy thing to do I and mean, it's a shame because it is such an amazing place to go play golf and it's a wonderful country with great people but it is it is difficult so it left the door open and I was very surprised when I did the numbers that a country like Sweden sort of burst through that door. But Sweden scores very highly on things like the population per course. I think there's about 10 million Swedes. They've got a lot of golf courses and they've actually got probably far fewer sort of seven and a half, eight, nine out of 10 golf courses that we really that we put on our bucket list. But Sweden's got a lot of six and sevens out of 10. Um, and some of them are charming. In fact, a lot of them are the ones down south and then some of the courses up near Stockholm in that area, they're really charming. It's, a, it's actually a fascinating country to go play golf in. So, yeah, it's, it's scored higher than I thought it would, but I do still recommend it. It's a pretty cool place. If you were to, in your personal experience, you know, just throw throw the rankings out entirely – is there a country or two that you have a personal affinity for based on an experience where you've been or, or several times have been to this place? Do you, do you have any, any favorites that maybe wouldn't make that list of, you know, Scotland, Ireland, the, the, the regulars that you hear? 
Yeah. Um, well, I do. Oh, you know, being Australian, I'm a little bit biased. We have obviously great golf courses and great weather and we play golf 365 days a year. So it's very different to somewhere like Canada. Um, and I've always said that probably the country that impresses me the most, and I, I mean this out of anywhere in the world really for golf, is England. If the weather in England was like the weather in Australia, I would have had no hesitation. I would have the, the moment I'd played Woking and St George's Hill and Swinley Forest and West Hill and Sunningdale and Walton Heath, gone up to Knotts and the Addington, all those places, I probably would have moved there. I mean, I love it. I love Silas. I love some of the understated hidden gems in England, and then obviously the really core Sandbelt esque style bulk golf you've got in the London in the London Heathland. I think that's. That really probably appeals to me more than in any other country, um, and the fact that it's more affordable, um, it's less there's less tourist uh, emphasis in the great courses in England than there are in Ireland and Scotland. Not that that's a bad thing for those countries, but it's just something that particularly is particularly um, enjoyable to me to go to places that are really understated. But apart from so they're the obvious ones, I would say. The country that um, – I'm a big one for great golf. So a lot – I just mentioned Sweden being a great place. The reason why it doesn't necessarily pull at my heartstrings is because there isn't a single golf course that I'm desperate to go back and play, and that's not the same for Holland. So Holland finished below Sweden, but I would love to go back to Holland and play golf again because the best three or four courses there – really pull at my heartstrings and you know royal hague for example and kenema i love those courses i really do in fact one of the disappointments of of my travels the last four or five years is some of the newer courses in holland i thought they had a potential you know to to, to match some of the older stuff but they haven't quite you know haven't quite been world standards the the modern courses in holland so but yeah, I'd go back. I'd go back there in a heartbeat. I've just come back from more earlier the year, just before the virus hit. We were over in Morocco, and um, I was quite surprised actually. Some of the golf in Morocco is is great, and I love South. I love South Africa. I mean, Humewood, Durban, the older courses in South Africa are, are favourites of mine. But but other than sort of those, you know, those um, outliers almost. I, I'm nothing I would say is going to surprise people. Scotland and England, 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 Scotland, Scotland, England, depending on the day, depending on the mood, those places are great. Obviously, I'm biased. I think Australia is a fantastic destination. And then New Zealand and France. I mean, New Zealand's an incredible place to go play golf. It has some of the most inflated green fees in the world, but it also has some of the best value. There's a course like Arrowtown. You can, for basically the same price that you could play Cowrie Cliffs, you can play Arrowtown for a year and, uh, yeah, there's no... <laughs> Wow. No better value golf anywhere in the world than that. It's a, it's an amazing place. Well, again, if you haven't read Darius's columns, uh, they are available on our website, linksmagazine.com. The series is called Ranking the World. And uh, we're we're on our last, last go here in, in the fall, and he's covering the rest of the world. And I know the United States is not part of this project, but I'm wondering if you – have you done – as I'm saying this, I'm sure you have um, a ranking of the states, and where does that shake out? And what's your favorite state to play golf in? If what that's are the, an easy question. What are the? Well, I've done a ranking of American golf courses. What I haven't done is is the world ranking, the country by country ranking, included America. I mean, it's very difficult, obviously, when you have so many courses and so much disparity between, you know, the 
the Cypress points and the Augusta Nationals, which are pretty much hands-off, impossible to get onto, and and then you've got the really charming public courses or the Pacific Grove types around the country. Um, no, America is America is a land of great contrast, and the best golf there is is obviously amazing. So, you know, best state. California obviously has, and New York and places like um, Pennsylvania have great old courses. And if, again, if you had that Willy Wonka golden ticket and you can play anywhere, you'd stick to those states and you'd be very happy for the rest of your life. But, you know, for me, if I'm going to America, I'm thinking Oregon. I'm just thinking going to Band of Dunes because I was there last year and played a bunch of times at the Sheep Ranch. I love Band and Trails. I mean, there's just the preserves, fantastic. It, it, it doesn't matter like what your preferences are. One of those courses is going to be, it's bound to be one of your all-time favourites anywhere in the world. So, and, and the ones that aren't your favourite, maybe your least favourite course at Bandon is still one of your favourite experiences that you'll have on a golf course. So I'd find it, I'd be looking for reasons to go back to America as a golf tourist, not for a book or not for any work or anything like that. If I'm going there as a golf tourist, if I'm not going back to Oregon, I'm looking for reasons not to. So I'm, you know, maybe taking the family and they really want to go to, I don't know, Harvard, have a look at Harvard. So we might go and play golf in Boston, that sort of thing. But otherwise, you know, I just love the coastal golf in Oregon. It's fantastic. Um, you know, I've played Cypress Point a couple of times, which I've been lucky enough to do, and that's unparalleled, that experience, that golf course. The best holes there are obviously the best anywhere in the world. And um, Sand Hills, the, the, probably the courses, individual courses that tug at my heartstrings are places like Shinnecock Hills, Sand Hills, and Cypress Point, as well as the, the, the courses at Bandon. Those are the ones that I think are on a global scale stand out as you know, the, the best that we've got in this game and, and America's America's best. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm trying not to sit on the fence, but there really isn't an easy answer because your best golf yeah. courses, unfortunately, like your best experiences and your most scenic locations, they're scattered far and wide all over America. So I actually went to college briefly in Montana. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a beautiful part of the world. There's some great golf in Montana now as well. It's really all over the country. There's some great golf courses. Oh wow! Quickly, your your favorite golf course in Montana? Um, Rock Creek. Yeah, I thought Rock Creek was very good. Interesting. I, I don't hear a lot about golf in Montana, so that's that's a good good nugget. No, there's there's um you know I, I noticed Yellowstone, Spanish Spanish Oaks. Um, there, there was a there was a, a flood I think in the early two thousands around that Bozeman area. Um, I did go to there, – there was a course that um, Brian Curley and Lee Schmidt did in Montana called the Wilderness Club with Nick Faldo as well, which is a, an out-of-the-way destination quite close to the Canadian border and um, that's a terrific golf experience too, the whole cabin, the, the accommodation. Getting there, I got lost on the way there. It was quite a, quite a fun experience as well. But, yeah, I mean, if Montana, if we can have a conversation while you're at you're in South Carolina. I'm in Australia, and we're talking about golf in Montana. It does tell you something <laughs> about about this crazy game that we love. Yeah. Well, I was uh, I was thrilled to to hear all the good things you've said about Bandon Dunes. Um, you're obviously not the first, and won't be the no. last there. But I'm going there in October, so I'm I'm geeked. I'm, that's my first first time going there, so we're I'm really excited to get out. How there. long are you How long are you staying for? Five days. Five days. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And I mean, he's they, they kick goal after goal at at, um, at Bandon, and, and I think Sheep Branch is another 
you know, just another home run. It's fantastic experience. And the par three course there, which is, um, you know, like as golfers have gotten older and people probably less inclined to want to play 36 full holes a day to be able to play one and then go play the preserve or play maybe two rounds one day and then one and a half the next. It's got everything. It's just a complete golf geek junket destination. It is the ultimate really in, in the US. So you'll have a great time. Can't wait. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, where can people find you and, and Planet Golf and, and what you have going on in the near future? Um, thanks, Al. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you as well. Planetgolf.com is my website, but my book, Planet Golf USA, which is released uh, yesterday, actually, it's available as of yesterday through Amazon. Um, it's an update on a book I did 10 years ago, but it's all new photography. And um, most pleasingly, from my perspective, there's a hell of a lot more public access golf. Obviously, the band and courses and places like Streamsong and Sand Valley, uh, Sand Valley that was that was a big focus on on for the new book was on public golf and the number of really great new courses built over the last 10 or so years in America very good well i hope uh, i hope it isn't the last that we'll get to to work with you and have your your content featured in our magazine uh, and i hope that you know when the country opens up again we can meet up somewhere for a game that would be that would be nice sounds good let's start on the west coast and we'll work our way down towards south carolina sure yeah, sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> All right, Al, lovely to join you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Darius. Appreciate it. Bye.